Hello and welcome to Your Employment Matters. I'm Beverly Williams and I'm here to help you navigate your career. This is for anyone who's searching for their dream job or promotion, or perhaps you're just looking to hang on to the job you have. Today's work environments are multi-generational, multi-religious, multinational, multiracial, and multi-gender and multi-gender identity. Add market disruptors like Amazon and Lyft, along with the addition of AI, and it's easy to see why finding and keeping a job is such a challenge. Employment success and even employment survival depend on your ability to adapt. That's why my goal for this 30-minute podcast is to first advocate embracing change and differences, and second, to encourage you to proactively assume responsibility for your career. Get your work week off to a good start by listening to Your Employment Matters every Monday. Find out how to own your career and get the best practices for making your employment matter. On my employment journey, I've met a lot of different people from all over the United States, Mexico, and Europe. Our conversations have, I guess it's enlightened me. I know they've informed me. And likewise, this podcast and writing my books and the articles I've written, my books about career and employment advice, and my articles about employment law topics like sexual harassment, the Me Too movement, Time's Up movement, and other employment law topics have just given me an opportunity to learn and to grow. The research I've done for my books and my articles has been enlightening, sometimes disturbing, but nonetheless informational. I've met so many interesting people on my employment journey. Let me just get back to one thing. My latest book, Your GPS to Employment Success, How to Find and Succeed in the Right Job, is now available on Amazon in both print and ebook format. So please consider purchasing. If you do so, let me know. If, if I can, I will send you a book plate with my signature in it, on it so, because it's not as though I'm going to be in a town near you anytime soon. But all of this, this employment journey and the people I've met and things that I've done, you know, in furtherance of my mission have just expanded my viewpoint. Uh, It's made me think about what I can do differently, what risks I should take, what I need to do to help people along their employment journey. And in this time of COVID-19, my meetings with people have not been in person. They've been virtual, but nonetheless compelling. Compelling because I'm amazed by the creativity, the persistence, the perseverance, and the failure is not an option, talent, mindset, and attitude of the people I've met. It's made me, they've, what I've learned from them, let me say it this way, what I've learned from them has made me stop and say, wow, you know, because I don't know that I could have done it. 
I don't know that I would have done it. But I listen and when I hear something that strikes a nerve, I feel that I should make every effort to try to share it with my podcast listeners. Anne Allen, my guest today, is one of those people. Anne is a global citizen who was born in the United Kingdom and educated in the UK and Vienna. She now resides in Canada. Anne, welcome and thank you for joining me today. Thank you, Beverly. It's my pleasure to chat with you today. You know, I read your bio. I, we have a mutual acquaintance. My podcast vendor is referred to me, and, and I appreciate the referral because I had a specific need. But it's just interesting how people are connecting virtually in this time of COVID-19. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's almost like I feel comfortable with you. I feel as though, although I wouldn't recognize you if you walked through my front door, <laughs> I feel a sense of familiarity. I guess. Uh, well, we had it. We had a great. We've had some great chats already. So, uh, and I think we share quite a lot of common ground in our in our outlook. Maybe you're right. That maybe that's the co- connection. By any standards, and you've had an interesting educational and employment experience. So let's play with your education. Why don't you tell people how you, where you were educated, where you grew up? Okay. Well, as as you kind of, I, I was born in England, and my mom was Irish, my dad was English, and uh, I went to school and I went off to university. Uh, I went to somewhere called the University of Warwick, spelt Warwick, and as a teenager, I felt that I was going to be a doctor. I was going to be a medical doctor, and that was everything I wanted to be. As I got closer to applying to schools, I kind of thought, well, actually, I'm not really sure I like sick people, so I'm not sure this is quite the career for me, but I really love the science. I love the biosciences. So I applied and I studied my degree in in biochemistry, but it had a huge amount of mathematics in it, and it's fair to say that me and advanced mathematics are not a good fit. And I really didn't like that. So this was at the end of the 1980s. And this new sort of technology of genetic engineering was coming along. It was all fresh and exciting. And I was interested in learning about it. So I switched in within the School of Biological Sciences to a degree that turned out to be microbiology and microbial technology, which is a bit of a mouthful. But really, it was the study of DNA and sort of what you can do with genetics and and doing it in bacteria is really much easier because you make a change and 48 hours later, you can see if it's worked or not. If you were doing it in a larger animal, it would be months, years, and obviously there's ethical considerations, etc. So for studying purposes, it was a really interesting degree that I did. And an opportunity I had during that degree was to take what would be called a practicum, I believe. And the school offered a bunch of places. All of them, apart from two, were in sort of northern industrial towns in England. And two places were in a research institute in Vienna, Austria. Now, I really wanted to go to that one. So I applied and the the interview was, well, do you speak German? I said, no, not at all. They said, well, don't you think that's a problem? And I was like, well, I'm really chatty. I'm sure I'll be fine. (laughs) And I think for sheer um, 
audacity. I think I think I got it. <laughs> so me and another girl who did actually speak German, we shipped off to Vienna for a year, which was a magical experience for me. I absolutely loved it. I, I was working in a research institute for a, a pharmaceutical company called Sandos, and I had to learn German. In fact, in the laboratory I was working in, my boss was Hungarian. He had Russian interns, so he spoke Russian with them. And there was a couple of Viennese workers there. And actually in Vienna, they have, a, they have quite a strong dialect, which is not, hot, not high German. So it was quite a mix of languages going on. But I did okay. I, I picked up some German. Conversationally, I was fine. Reading German is horrendous. <laughs> I never could read the newspaper. I, I would always get the wrong idea of what was going on. I did try. Um, and then I came back. I came back and finished my degree. I did start in a research position, uh, just as a sort of lab tech at the Institute of Food Research, uh, where I actually had to make lasagna every single day. And then lasagna? Lasagna. I had a standard lasagna recipe that from the University of somewhere in Belgium. And I had to infect it with bacteria and then study different attributes, i.e. if I kept it cold for such and such time, did it inhibit bacterial growth? If I added more salt, if I did this or did that, gathering data for a computer model. I did this for about six months, but realized I was much more interested in the computer model than I was actually in the, in the microbiological side of things, which was kind of an indication to me that lab work, that side of science, wasn't really where my true interests were. I, I liked the whole concept of it. I liked the big helicopter view of it. But working in a lab on a daily basis on a tiny, tiny little piece of the puzzle was, was not really for me. And so I, that's when I kind of did my first little career sort of switch, <laughs> of which there have been a few. So I then went into regulatory affairs in the pharmaceutical industry, which is a combination of science and law. And you either come into it with a legal background or you come into it with a science background. And I worked for Dr. Scholz for a couple of years and enjoyed the work and worked for a really good manager who was very encouraging. He encouraged me to, you know, if I had, a, if I had an idea how to store information better so we could access it better for applications for approvals, he was all over that. And he just let me fly at it. And I did, and I created some databases, and I, I really liked what I was doing, and it was really helpful. He then moved to the Body Shop International. Do, do you know the Body Shop? No. Because uh, the, co the cosmetics and toiletries business? Oh, yes, I do. And I know Sandoz and Dr. Scholz. Yeah, yeah. So he moved over to the Body Shop, and a couple of months later, he, he gave me a call and said, Anna, you know, the information is all over the place here. You know, I'd really appreciate it. If you'd like to come and work with me here, I think we could do some really good things. So that's what I did. I packed up and I, I moved over to the technical product development department of the Body Shop. Now, the Body Shop was an amazing company to work for at that time. It had grown massively, completely organically, really by accident. <laughs> You know, I think they hit on a very successful formula by accident and rode the wave and grew. And they were marketing, I think they sell in 48 countries now, but really didn't have the background infrastructure to do it well and efficiently. So I came and joined this department and it was a great company to work for. 
I'm really surprised to hear that because they did expand rather quickly, didn't they? Oh, they expanded really quickly. Like in a few years, they went from being a couple of little stores in the south of England to being in the US and Canada, all over Europe, all over the UK. And yeah, they, they, were, <laughs> they were hugely successful at that time. The timing was right, too, because, you know, personal grooming and, mm-hmm. and, and wanting to look and smell good. <laughs> yeah. And also the, the, the founder, Anita Roddick, she was ahead of her time in terms of environmental protection. This was early 90s, and she was raising campaigns about burning the Amazon rainforest and trying to use sustainable ingredients that were sourced ethically which are things that now are much more standard, would you say? I would say they are. But yes. this, this was 25 years ago. She was quite the groundbreaker at that point. So it, it was exciting. It was an exciting place to work. But again, we needed to have a source of information that was accurate. And also the European Union uh, had just brought in a new set of legislation, which meant that all ingredients had to be labeled on cosmetics and toiletries. Prior to that, they weren't needed. They were in the US, but in Europe, they weren't. And it being Europe, where they wanted everyone to understand everything, it was decided it had to be done in Latin. So instead of, instead of water, it was aqua. <laughs> instead, of, instead of honey, it, it was nail. You know, it was, it was quite, the, um, quite the change. So we needed to have a way of generating these ingredients lists that had to be done in a certain way, in a certain format, in Latin, as well as in English for the U.S. market. And actually, we did it in Japanese as well for the Japan market. So I actually created a database to do that because we asked the IT department and they said it was going to be hundreds of thousands of dollars, pounds, and it was going to take a year. And we had two months and no money. (laughs) So I built it and it was really successful. It worked. The IT department said it was terrible and they wouldn't support it. And, and we kind of just said, well, sorry, but we are doing it and we're going to support it ourselves and it works and it does exactly what we need it to do. And when it doesn't, I can change it. Well, they had support from your, from the, from the, um, from my uh, manager again and his manager as well. Yeah, <laughs> you know, the leadership. I mean, you know, the people that write the text. Yeah. I really benefited from having a great a sort of management team above me who kind of recognized that I, I, I could do this and I would do this and, um, and, and gave me the opportunity to. So I, I loved it and I, I, you know, I grabbed those opportunities. I put a lot of hours in, but I didn't resent it at all because I was interested in what I was doing. So that, that was good. Uh, we're coming along to sort of year 2000 and stuff, and I'm chugging along in this career. And, and at this point, I actually, uh, I was married and I, I was having my first baby. Now, the, the body shop was a fantastic employee, and we had world standard childcare. We had an on-site where the factory and the product development and head office were. We had a, a custom-built childcare facility in its own building. They had a chef that would prepare food for these kids that was organic at lunchtime, and it was subsidized. So you only paid a percentage of your salary. So if you were working on the factory floor or you're in the boardroom, it was the same rate of your pay that you would would pay, which was very good, I thought. Perfect setup. Unfortunately, my son, 
hated it. <laughs> I, I had six months off after, after I'd had him. I put him into this childcare facility in the morning, and he just screamed and screamed all day, every day. He just never settled. So, wow. you know, that's an interesting point that, you know, there isn't a universal one thing fits all. I, I had probably opportunity to have the best childcare in the business, and I could afford it at that point because it was subsidized but my child hated it. So what do you do, <laughs> really? And, and I found that I couldn't continue working at that point because it, it was very distressing for me. I, you know, I, it was very visceral. I, I didn't like it. I couldn't really concentrate. I didn't feel I was contributing to, to earn my salary, I guess. So I, I took the decision that I was going to stay home for a few years with him uh, and I had we had a we had another baby as well, so I had the two small children, and I, and I was going to stay at home with them. That that was my choice, my decision. I'm glad I did it. Uh, I'm not sure my children are glad I did it. I'm sure if you ask them, they would have a different opinion, but that's okay. And so I was at home. My husband was going out working every day. We were talking about when, when we were together at university, and we always said that when we grew up in in quotes. We were going to live somewhere else. England is a great place, but it's very small and it's very crowded. So we wanted to go somewhere else. My husband wanted to go to New Zealand, but I felt that was too far away. I had been to Canada on business quite a few times for the body shop and loved it. We'd both been on vacation there, skiing in the West, and loved it as well. So we started sort of thinking about maybe, maybe emigrating to Canada. And fortuitously, my husband's had actually been offered the got off the job here in, in Vancouver. So we decided to go for it. The opportunity had come along. We applied to the embassy in, in London, the Canadian embassy for his work permit. They said it would take six weeks. So in that six weeks, we cleared the house. We decided we were not going to tie several of our ties. We were going to manage the risk a little bit because it was kind of scary. <laughs> So we kept the house, but we were going to put renters in it. So we, we, didn't, we didn't sever any connections with family and friends. We just said, we're going to go try this for a year or two. And if it works out, great. And if not, we'll come back having had a great adventure. And the work permit came back on the Thursday afternoon to say we were approved. And we booked the flight and we landed in Vancouver on the Sunday evening. And my husband started work at 8.30 on the Monday morning. Whoa. And we were here. <laughs> So that was quite the step. And at the time, it seemed manageable. Looking back on it now, I don't know if I'd be brave enough to do it again, even though it worked out really well. <laughs> I think we were why, so... Why do you think you wouldn't do it now? Well, only insofar as I think it's more of the risk, or perhaps I'm getting older, I'm, I'm a bit more risk averse. But I mean, we, we had two small children, a three and a five-year-old. And we spent a month living in a travel lodge here while we were looking for accommodation, which is not an experience I'd like to repeat. Although, interestingly, both kids can remember it and thought it was great fun. <laughs> <laughs> Your son liked it better than the daycare. Yeah, oh, absolutely, because he was with he was with his, his you know he was with family, he was with his sister and his mum and his dad, and that's all he cared about really. And that's pretty much the same for most little kids. I think you you can actually, if they're with you, you can do all kinds of things, and they just. It's normal to them, I suppose. Yeah. No, yeah. it's what they're used to. Exactly, exactly. In fact, he loved it because he'd started school in England by the point by the point he left, and he hated it going to school every single day, 
nine till three and having to wear a school uniform. And he thought it was horrible. And when I turned up here, I was assigned a school to go to and they had a little open house. And I went along in the kindergarten teacher. And uh, in fact, she, this is one of the best pieces of advice I've ever had. I said to her, well, he's already done a school year pretty much. It's May now. Perhaps I should put him a year ahead, you know, into the next year up. And she said, why would you do that? She said, no, no, no. She said, it doesn't make too much difference at this age, but when he's a teenager, it'll make a huge difference if he's a year younger. Let him be. Just let him settle in. <laughs> let him have a year just settling in. He'll be fine. And you know what? It was the best piece of advice I've had. That's so, great. Yeah. So he And he only had to go to school half a day, which he just thought was marvelous. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's not for everyone. School's not for everyone. No, it really isn't. And, and he wasn't ready. And now he, and, you know, he settled in and it's great. And he's now doing a degree in mathematical physics. So, you know, he's doing okay. <laughs> yeah. You know, so it takes time to find your niche. As yeah, they say. exactly. Spot. Yeah. Everybody's not ready to do what the law or the government or society says it's time. Yeah, that's, uh, that is so true. So. So, yeah, so I had a, a few years here and um, here with my kids at home. And then my daughter, once she started going to school full time, I really needed to have a job. Yes, for a little bit of money, for sure, because we had one income. It wasn't great. Uh, Vancouver is a very expensive place to live. But also my little motivation to get started, which probably gave me the kick that I needed to overcome uh, sort of fears, was I needed to get some money together because my parents were having their 50th wedding anniversary the following year. I think it was 2011. They were going to have the, they, were, they said, we're going to have a great big party and we really want you to be here. And we didn't really have the money for the ticket. So I was like, okay, well, we don't have the money. I need to earn the money. But I don't want to really go back into the workforce because I would worry that as I am, my husband was focusing on work. This was kind of our team plan. My husband was work, focusing on the work. I was focusing on the home and the kids. And, you know, kids only go to school for 30 weeks of the year. So that's 22 weeks that they're at home. They have numerous days off. They get sick. They, they need someone to come in and help make popcorn for popcorn day. They need, they have assemblies. It, it's constant. I would always be asking for time off. And I just did not want to do that. I didn't feel good about it. I didn't feel that I would be adding value, which is important to me. I, I like to feel that like I'm adding value for when I'm being paid. So I was reading around and I thought, well, I know I, I can do quite a lot of stuff on Excel and spreadsheets. Maybe I should be a virtual assistant. And that seems to be a thing. And I was reading about websites and WordPress particularly, which is what I do, which is really just a database which talks to a web page. It wasn't that different to things I'd done before. So I read about it and I, I set myself up a little one and played around on it and figured some things out and, and realized that actually I probably could do more than just help people with spreadsheets. Like I could maybe, you know, amend websites or even create websites for them. So I gave it a go and I answered some advertisements in Craigslist and I offered sort of a, a very reasonable fixed price for something. I was still quite sort of uh, a little lacking in confidence, I think, about whether I'd be delivering value. So what I did, and, and I actually still do it now, and it helps me a lot, is I say, 
I'm not going to charge you until I'm finished and you only pay me if you're satisfied. And that to me gives me the confidence to know that hopefully what I'm going to be doing will be valued and appreciated, i.e. equal pay. But if they really don't appreciate it or really don't like it, they don't have to pay me. And to me, that messaging really worked. I'm sure every single business advisor is wincing right now as that's a terrible thing to do. But it works for me. So that's why I did it. Client, <laughs> but as a potential client, mm-hmm. it resonates with me. It gives mm-hmm. me um, a sense of who you are, mm-hmm. that you stand by your work, which mm-hmm. is a, and yeah. that you want to add value. You don't know how... I hear that phrase, adding value, especially mm-hmm. in the corporate context. It's, you know, make sure you add value or are you add, adding value. But a lot of times I don't think employees realize that's really the driver mm-hmm. in making you successful in your career is mm-hmm. adding value. Yeah, yeah. Doing a, a, an excellent job, producing an excellent product making a contribution that is not only substantial, but valuable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It makes a difference. But yeah. that's not how people think, <laughs> by and large. I totally agree. And, you know, adding value, there's so many different ways to add value. You know, just solving a problem for, for a customer, and it might be a quite a simple problem to solve but for yourself, because maybe you've seen it many times before. But perhaps for that client, it's been a real sticking point for them and they, it's a wall they haven't been able to get over. So just being able to look at it and, and apply a different set of thinking about it and skills and, and remove that low roadblock for a client it is very valuable for them. And, you know, that's very satisfying for me personally to know that I have helped somebody, you know, build their business or solve a problem or move on or move forward, you know? I genuinely like helping people. So so it works for me. And, you know, people have said to me, Oh, you mustn't do that. You must charge it, you know, you must charge a deposit or people won't take you seriously. And yet in my experience that hasn't been the case at all. So, you know. Well, let me say this, Anne. <laughs> from a client perspective, it seems that you've distinguished yourself. And, you know, there's a lot of discussion about how applicants for jobs need to differentiate themselves. And Mm -hmm. I think being different is not enough. Mm -hmm. You've got to distinguish yourself. You've got to make yourself remembered. You want to do something to make people remember you, not because you were different, but because you were exceptional. Mm -hmm. Or you distinguished yourself. And that by making that offer. You have distinguished yourself in a field of thousands, probably. Yeah, maybe. I think so. And it, it's quite interesting that I kind of stumbled across it accidentally almost because <laughs> I actually was doing it for myself rather than for, for the clients, as it were. It was what, what I needed to do to, to be able to offer my services in the beginning. You know, I, yes, I believe I can do it, would be, you know, in the beginning. But if I can't, it's not going to cost you anything. It was my, my logic in my background. So, um, yeah, it's worked for me. And, and it's, as I say, I really enjoy what I'm doing. I like talking to new clients who have a problem and I, I can help them out with it. 
and I try and make it as easy as possible, as painless as possible. You know, unfortunately, in the in the field I'm in, there are quite a few people who make it a little bit more hard than it should be for clients to be able to just log into their website or access what they need, and then they they kind of feel that they can't move away, and then they feel stuck and and. To me, I want a customer to be with me because they want to. So if they feel that it's a better offer elsewhere, that's business and I'm fine. I will help them move. No hard feelings. I've had some customers move away and then come back, you know, and that's fine. It's not, not a problem at all. You know, I want my customers to be with me because they are happy. And if they're not, they can tell me and I can try and make it better or they can decide they want to go elsewhere and that's okay. But what you offered gave you confidence. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, this is what I surmise. It mm-hmm. gave you confidence and you were able to deliver. Yes. And it just continued to work for you going forward. Yes. But you know, Anne, I don't know whether you're aware of this, but and there's a phrase you use, the sheer audacity. You have audacity. <laughs> <laughs> you're not afraid to do something different, to mm-hmm. be different, or do you, do you understand what I'm saying? Yes, I do. I, I'm not afraid of failure, I think. That, uh, that's, exactly. You didn't speak German, so, yeah. you know, yeah. so what? Yeah. Who needs yeah. to speak German? I'm going to be working in, 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 in Vienna. Who needs to speak German? Yeah, no, I, I guess my mindset is how hard, how bad can it be? <laughs> Sure, it's not going to be that bad. That won't, that won't be long. That that'll be okay. So, I'm German. I can learn enough. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I mean, and I think that that comes across to me, mm-hmm. not having met you face to face. But when you said sheer audacity, I said, you know, that I think I have that too. <laughs> I, you know, some of my friends may call it crazy, but yes. I think <laughs> as sheer or I think I'm going to adopt that with your yes. permission. Oh, for sure. sure. I like that. I like that. For sure. No, no problem. No problem. So, and I, I like a challenge as well. Uh, you know, I, I'm not afraid of failing. I don't like it, but, you know, who does? It doesn't terrify me. So uh, I like to try new things. I like to learn. I mean, especially in the, in the field I'm in with websites and the internet and computer languages, it's changing constantly. You know, you only have to look at how your phone has evolved since 2010 um, and the power in, in cell phones and everything. It's a constantly churning landscape. So I, the fact that I like a challenge means it's okay that I have to pick up something new and, and give it a go um, and learn it and learn how to use it. Uh, but that, that keeps it fresh, right? Sure. Yeah. Now, before we start talking about your company, New Start, were you apprehensive about moving to a new country? I mean, from the UK to Vienna uh, to Austria? Well, the UK to, to Vienna, I think I, w- I was so young, it didn't even occur to me <laughs> that there would be any problem at all. Uh, and, and actually, I was very lucky. I think I'm, I'm the youngest of five children. So I was always in a group of people. I always had to sort of fight my corner a little bit in terms of to be heard. I had to say something, you know, because, and people would only listen to me if it was interesting, you know? (laughs) So um, I've always liked being in a crowd of people. 
And I think I know that the other friend, the other girl who was with me, when our mothers waved us off at the airport, two 19-year-olds going off to, to a different country for a year, I think both mothers were quite tearful and worried. And we were blissfully ignorant, <laughs> I think. <laughs> at the time, I just thought it was paradise. I was living in a foreign country in a beautiful city where I could just get on the tram and go into the center and see all the beautiful buildings. I wouldn't say I was a huge fan of the opera, but because we were in Vienna, we would get standby tickets to go to the States Opera when we could for, for, for very cheap, and you'd be standing at the back. And, and you know, I, I saw some wonderful operas that were done brilliantly and, you know, big productions, and they were marvelous. And, and I would never have in a million years have thought to do something like that, and I've never been since. And also the, the other amazing thing while I was in Vienna was the, the Berlin Wall had just come down six months before. And I mean, I, I wasn't even sure where Austria was, to be honest with you. I kind of knew it was a bit south of Germany and a bit north of Italy, but I didn't really figure too much about it. But actually, Austria and Vienna is very far to the east and was completely, Vienna itself is pretty much surrounded on three sides by what was then Czechoslovakia and Hungary. And just the other side of the, the airport was the border, was the Iron Curtain. So we used to be able to cross over into Hungary for, for an evening. And uh, it, was, it was very untamed at that point. Nobody spoke English. We went to Budapest to do our Christmas shopping, and, and I don't think we could spend a dollar in terms of everything was communist cheap, you know, was kept at the communist low prices. They hadn't fully embraced um, tourism at that point so uh it was unbelievable and, and and i took my parents came to visit and we took the train to prague and we if we wanted to eat in a restaurant you had to book it the day before so they could buy the food so you oh, go wow. into a restaurant that would be completely empty and say oh can i have dinner and they say well you have to come back tomorrow you know this is on old town square on in prague which before the covid hit would have been tens of thousands of people milling around, but it's completely empty. So that was a marvelous experience. So was I apprehensive before? Not really, because I wasn't really old enough to be <laughs> apprehensive, I think. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. I, you know, what you don't know doesn't scare you. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And then, and then coming to here, um, obviously we had the kids with us, but we tried to sort of mitigate the risk. It didn't have to be forever if we didn't like it. We knew that, you know, we'd probably be able to find somewhere safe to rent or buy. And I guess it's Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You know, once you've got a home base that's safe and it's warm and you can feed, you can feed the kids and stuff, everything else is not that important, really. So once, once we got settled here in a place... It was fine, you know. There were days then I got very, very homesick and I missed my parents and my family and friends. But technology, Skype, we'd set both our sets of parents up with Skype and we chatted all the time on that. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was a good move. So now technology, you know, Skype, Facebook, Zoom, WebEx, all of that now that we've become more familiar with during the pandemic, mm -hmm. that's really, if not part of your business, it's ancillary to your business. Mm -hmm. The fact that you transition from microbiology mm -hmm. 
being a scientist to mm-hmm. being a web designer? I'm, I'm probably more of a web developer than a designer. Uh, yeah. Um, it's, so, yeah, I'm coding. I'm coding up solutions for people for websites. And I use the tool WordPress is, is my go-to. I have occasionally done some Shopify where needed because sometimes that's the right tool for a customer. And, yeah, it's very different from where I started, but it has been a sort of progression. I mean, I couldn't have done what I do now when I started because the Internet hadn't been invented at that point. <laughs> you know, it's – in fact, my husband is a software developer. and He did his entire degree on mainframe computers, and within six months of graduating, everything had gone to personal computers. So, you know wow. – it changed that quickly. It's been a gradual process as the technology has evolved. I feel very lucky that I was at the right place at the right time to take advantage of the new technology that allowed people to be able to do the work that I do. To I mean, I don't think, I think I've met maybe, I don't know, probably less than five of my customers. So I've got probably 150 customers, and I've probably only met five of them face-to-face. But I chat with them. I talk with them on phone or on Zoom, a lot of emails. So, uh, you know, I work on remote teams. There's a very different paradigm now of working than it was that would have been available 20 or 30 years ago. Well, if any podcast listeners or in the market for a web developer, how do they go about getting in touch with you and news and working with Newstart? Newstart.solutions. Well, I have my website at newstart.solutions and they can contact me via that or even just Anne at newstart.solutions. Send me an email and let me know what it is you're looking for. Or even if you don't know what you're looking for, what problems you have that you want solving. And then I can help you sort of refine what it is that might be the best solution for you uh, and take it from there and the interesting thing is i do the whole gauntlet of thing anything website related so some people only need a button changing from red to blue okay so that's a five minute job some people want an entire new site redesign so that's obviously a much bigger job some people want to be able to just have a website that works. They really don't, not that they don't care about it, but they're busy running their business. They just want to have somebody who will keep an eye on it, maintain it on a weekly basis, who will occasionally, if they feel like they want to write a blog post, they just send me that as a Word document. And I get it loaded for them and, and released. And they can just concentrate on running their business. And I, I call that some of my WordPress care. And then it works well for a lot of people that they know that their website is not going to suddenly be hacked. They know that there are any problems. They've got someone that can call. They know that I'll do an hour or two a month on it for them, that there can be anything. I can connect to their email marketing tool. I could create an HTML email for their marketing. I could add Google Analytics. I could, you know, a whole bunch of things that I can do for them. And they just can concentrate on what they want to do which is run their business. Now, let me make sure I have this right. It's New Start, N as in Nancy, U, S as in Sam, T as in Tom, A, R, T, dot, mm-hmm. solutions with yes. an S in the end. Yes. That's Wonderful. Me. That's me.
We want to make sure people can get in touch with you should they need your services. That would be great. I like helping people, so that would be marvelous. Well, now, before we conclude, tell mm-hmm. me, is there anything that you would have done differently? I wish I'd had a little bit more understanding of how to run a business. Me too. Uh, yeah, you know, um, technical side of thing, I've been fine with, and I know how to do it. I know how to learn new, and you, I know where to go to, to look up new things. And, and but the running the business side of things, uh, the accounting, the bookkeeping, that kind of thing, I've had to learn as I've gone along. And to begin with, I didn't really pay too much attention to it because I was focused on on actually producing the goods rather than running business so if i had my time again i would have a i'd be a bit more disciplined about setting up systems to run my business more efficiently i feel i've learned this the hard way to be honest with you i'm not particularly money focused so i often when i'm talking to a client i wouldn't necessarily record the time that i've taken to do a quick fix which is fine i have no problem with that the only issue I found was that I was actually spending all day doing quick fixes for a lot of different people. <laughs> and at the end of the day, I, I really hadn't done any billable hours. So that's not sustainable from a business point of view. And so I didn't really have sort of systems for timekeeping, for, for logging, for efficiently logging time, for recording what I needed to do. So at the end of the month, it, it was hard to, to invoice and I wasn't using an invoicing system. And, and so it was very labor intensive. And I, I was actually probably leaving an awful lot of money on the table. So my business wasn't terribly profitable to begin with when it probably could have been more profitable. No, I'm in the same boat. You know, you, I had to ask myself, did, was it hubris? Did you, was it just that you, the arrogance that you thought you knew what you were doing? <laughs> I really, I had to, seriously, I probably try to self-reflect. Yeah, I, I, I'm laughing. I'm laughing because actually that is, <laughs> that is very insightful because I think I did have that attitude. How, you know, how hard can it be? If, you know, <laughs> and actually what? it is important to, and I've self-educated over the last couple of years. I've been reading a lot of sort of more business-related books rather than sort of you know, SEO and, and, and internet-related and realized that I really needed to take a more mature approach to running my business, a bit less arrogance, I guess, and, and actually run it as a business properly and start writing procedures and following the procedures as well. Uh, and it, it made a big difference in terms of quality of outputs, in terms of turnaround times and things like that. So I wish I'd done it earlier. Yeah, I, you know, I don't, I guess it was, I think attorneys by training are, are somewhat arrogant. But for me, it was like I knew I could help. I could get people to listen to me. I could help them become mm-hmm. more productive with respect to managing their careers. Mm-hmm. Because traditionally, people wait to be tapped and anointed. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. we're, going to, we're going to promote you. Yeah. We, you have a future here. Mm-hmm. 
you know, and that doesn't happen at the way it used to. Yeah. And people are still waiting for that tap on the shoulder and that at a boy or at a girl, we're going to move you up mm-hmm. or they moved up to a point and they plateau. Yeah. Well, going back to the, the manager I had at Dr. Scholes and, and uh, at the body shop, the, one of the first things he said to me was, you know, don't love the company because it won't love you back. He said, if you exactly. want to do things and go the extra mile, make sure you're doing it for you. <laughs> You know, because the company will benefit from that, but make sure you're doing it for you. If you want to do something and learn it, great. The company will benefit, but do it for you. No, and, you're absolutely right. Yeah. And, and that was really good advice. In fact, I should really write him a thank you note, I think. I think he's retired now. <laughs> no, you know, seriously, it's excellent advice. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's it won't love you back. Mm-hmm. The other thing I find is we're not as talented Everyone is not as talented as we think we are. <laughs> That's true. Yes. Uh, I'm talking about myself here. That is for sure. Yeah. I'm just saying, if you haven't been told by someone that you work with, especially your supervisor or manager, or you haven't received a bonus or an accolade that recognizes your contribution, mm-hmm. I don't think you're that great in the performance department. Mm-hmm. Your opinion is important, but it's not the driver. Mm-hmm. And sure. you could be mistaken. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I, I think that's, especially in today, you know, a lot of younger people are used to being told how wonderful they are. Yes. Yeah. And, and you know, that they're doing such a fantastic job, but, if you don't hear that from people who are decision makers where you work or where you volunteer, you know what I'm saying? Don't assume that it's the case. Yeah, for sure. I completely agree. I completely agree with that. And uh, I think it's hard for um, for youngsters coming through. And I see this amongst my kids and their, their peers. The school has been come quite a sort of uh, self-congratulatory exercise where people don't really fail if uh, the school board here, if you don't hand your work in on time, it doesn't matter. The teacher will still mark it at any point, which I just think is a disaster because, yeah, you know, A, every kid leaves it to the last minute and then they rush through it in the last week and it's really stressful, but then they go, ah, it doesn't matter, I passed. And you're like, well, it did matter and it will matter. And you're setting yourselves up for failure if you don't realize that a deadline is a deadline. But you know what happens at work? Mm -hmm. People don't realize that, especially now, given how employers, leaders in business, in corporations, nonprofits, whatever, Mm -hmm. they will not confront employees. Mm -hmm. And when they confront Tell them directly, you're doing a poor job. You need to improve, mm-hmm. you know, because they can't take it. No, they no. really can't take it. So what they do, what happens is they will eliminate the position. Yes. They will downgrade the position. Mm-hmm. They will just marginalize the person, not give them more responsible assignments because they know that they're not capable. Yeah. And it, it and it's so unfair. <laughs> but 
the employee doesn't get it. No. They don't know that decisions are being made out of their presence Mm -hmm. that affect their future or lack of future with this employer. Yeah. That is sad. I think there's, you know, the lack of not confrontation, but meaningful feedback is not fair to a young employee or a new employee who's finding their feet. Now, obviously, maybe some won't be capable or some won't have the right attitude, but some, as you've rightly said, are just misunderstanding their level and perhaps with good feedback and mentoring and being shown actually, no, this is the standard that we expect and you have to achieve and this is how you get there, that they would actually become much better performers and would do well, but they just haven't had that opportunity to be put on the right path, I guess. I think you're right. and But see, the other piece to that is you have to have someone on the other side that's receptive to yes. receive it. Oh, absolutely. Um, yes. Uh, yeah. And, and to, to understand. You know, my advice is accept, consider all feedback, positive mm-hmm. or negative feedback as a gift mm-hmm. and accept it as you would accept an ugly gift from a relative you love. Accept mm-hmm. mm-hmm. it graciously. It's graciously is, is the right word there. And, and not to take it too personally. You know, it might hurt, you know, but then really, have, did you really give it your best effort? Did you really, you know, did you really do everything you could make it the best it could be? And if you did, then you need to ask for help as to what to do better. And you need to work on that. And if you didn't, then you need to figure that out. Why didn't you give it your best effort? And if it's not that important to you to give the best effort, then you're probably not in the right job, I would say. You're right. And the other side to that is, quite frankly, all managers and leaders are not good supervisors. No, no. They just don't. Yeah. And it's hard. I have to say, I, I actually like working on my own, working for myself, working by myself, because managing people is a skill and is hard. I, I did it when I was at the body shop. I had a team of people and I'm looking back on it now, I, I kind of wince and I think about all the things that I could have done better. And I wish I'd done better, but I didn't. I was a young manager trying my best and learning. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was much, much harder when you're sitting there being, you know, supervised. You think, who do they, who do they think they are? Or, you know, they're terrible at this and that and the other. But actually, when you're in the supervisor seats, it, it's, it's quite a, it's quite an unpleasant place to be. And there's a lot of skills and experience needed to do it well, I think. No, and everybody doesn't have the talent. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, is there anything you want to say or would you want to advice that you want to give individuals about, you know, making thinking about making a career change? Yeah, I think uh, the best advice I can give people is have, have a look into yourself as to what you really like doing and what you're good at, which hopefully should match, you know, because if you're good at something and enjoy doing it, and if this is cliche stuff, I guess. I'm sorry. But no. if you're good at something at, or, and, and you enjoy doing it, you're, you're going to be more successful because you're going to put more effort into it. And uh, that will, you know, I'm afraid the effort is related to success in many, many ways. And also not to be too scared of change, I think. 
the the world we live in now, particularly in the sort of arena of so many people now working virtually or working from home and having to use sort of internet-based tools for so many things, it's a very rapidly changing environment that can be scary for people. But it's also a lot of opportunities if you can spend a little bit of time each day just making sure that you're keeping up with what's going on with technology changes. You know, if Zoom is bringing out a new update, just having a quick play on it and making sure you understand where what the new buttons do. And then you can be the person that helps the manager who can't figure out X, Y, Z. And just trying to make sure you, you understand and can use the, the tools that are available to us all. And just keep educating yourself. And thank you so much. No problem. It's a pleasure. It's been very enjoyable. And I think that at least I've learned some things. I I hope people listening to our interview, this podcast, learn some things. Mm -hmm. Some things that will be helpful to them or at least food for thought as they make uh, career decisions. Mm -hmm. Help them move forward because I think a lot of people are going to find themselves in situations that are going to require decision-making that they may not have made before. You find that a lot of people are very open to, to uh, if people reach out for help or just ask a quick question or, you know, if, so, if somebody asks me a question, I've never heard of them or you know, if they ask me nicely, I'm, I'm always happy to give an opinion, you know, so and I'm sure that's the case for a lot of people. You know, if you read an article or something and you're interested in it and you want to know a little bit more or, or you're thinking about moving into that area of business or work, just drop a quick email to somebody and just ask. Just say, you know, do you think this is a good idea or do you have any tips or, you know, and um, it's those people that the ones that are sufficiently interested to make that move that you end up having these conversations with and things happen, you know, and, and you can learn from the experience of others quite easily. No, and people are always, usually, not always, will, usually willing to share their yes. experience and give you advice mm-hmm. based on what they've experienced along the way. Yeah. So you might ask, hey, if they say no, you're not any the worst. Yeah, exactly. Wear. You're no worse off, you know, so... Ask the, ask the next person. Yes. Somebody, somebody will tell you. Exactly. Somebody will tell you. Yeah. Thank you so much. Okay. And I'm really looking forward to work together. Oh, and so am I. So but thanks for talking to me today, Beverly, and I hope you have a nice weekend. Thanks for listening to Your Employment Matters with Beverly Williams. If you found this podcast helpful, please subscribe and leave a review. I truly appreciate your support and that helps other listeners find the podcast. If you have a comment, question, or suggestion, you can reach me at bawilliams at youremploymentmatters.com. My book, Get the Job Done, is available on amazon.com and barnesandnoble.com. Please join me again next week. Until then, remember to embrace change and differences.
This podcast is part of the Sound Advice FM network. Sound Advice FM. Women's voices amplified.